The book of Revelation, chapter 9, will continue through these trumpet blasts, the second woe that is equivalent to the sixth trumpet blowing here, judgments against Israel by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one, the builder who was rejected. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound the great river Euphrates. So the angels who were bound, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But... The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. You may be seated. Oh Lord, we come before you and we have heavy, heavy things before our eyes and our ears this morning. Would that we receive your word as instruction, not only of what has happened, what may happen, what is happening but how we are to live in light of your glorious revelation that we might flee from the wrath that is to come. Grant to us then hearts that are filled with humble reception of your holy word that we might be transformed by it in the preaching of it we pray in your name. Amen. More bad news. I don't always mind bad news from the pulpit. (laughs) It means that when I get loud, it makes a bit more sense. Uh, But there is much of it here in the book of Revelation, and I I don't want us to grow weary of it. I want us to be warned by it. In fact, that is the express exhortation in chapter 9, verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And then prior to that in chapter 8, Verse 13, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, if this is your first time hearing one of these sermons from the book of Revelation, we need to understand that what's happening in this particular section of Revelation is found within the context that Christ has died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, he then ascended into heaven, and at that culminating moment of his ascension, he ascended from earth to heaven. 
Like the kings of Old Testament Israel, after battle they would ride into the city and the gates would be open and all the inhabitants of the city would come forth and they would wave palm branches and they would say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And those who are in heaven are singing over and over and so it is a royal worship service to the prophet, priest, and king of heaven and earth. As Christ takes the throne, uh, a series of events happen. There is a scroll that is brought to him, and no one can open it. And the reason is this. It is only for Christ, the Son, who died and was raised to open it. It was given to him by the Father as his responsibility to pour out the lordship and the merits of his obedience even to death Philippians chapter 2, on earth. And so Christ was humiliated, but Christ is no longer humiliated. This is the offense of the crucifix. Not only is it a violation of God's law, that there is an image of God made and fashioned, but it is a lie. Christ is not on the cross. As John Owen would said, if Christ is always on the cross, then he is never our great high priest. The problem with the Mass, then, is that Christ is always a weak and suffering Messiah. But he is not weak and suffering anymore. Now, I know I've quoted Lewis I don't know how many weeks in a row, and I'm so sorry. But again, from the Chronicles of Narnia, after Aslan, sorry for the spoiler alert, but if you read the Gospels, you've read Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. After Aslan is raised, all of the children remark, he's much bigger than he once was. Christ is not, though in flesh, he is in human flesh, he is no longer suffering. Now we suffer, we are the church militant. But it is because Christ is raised and is seated upon the throne that in our poverty, in our weakness, in our humility, there is strength. Such that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So that you and I can be quite small and yet the kingdom of Christ flourishes because Christ is upon the throne. Now, as Christ takes his throne... He pours out judgment upon that city that rejected him. He warned Israel that this would happen. He warned Jerusalem that this would happen. If you do not kiss the son, he will be angry with you and you will perish in the way. John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What we have grown unaccustomed to in this age of plural postmodernism is you can't say X if it contradicts my Y. Because if you say something that contradicts what I believe, you have offended me. And many within the church desire to be, to soft pedal the implications of a risen and reigning Christ so that they may serve on the board with their fellow neighbor that hates Christ and be at peace. But in the Psalms of Ascent, what does the psalmist say? I am for peace. You are for war. In fact, the whole world has declared war against the kingdom of righteousness. And what the church is endeavoring to do is say, we know the path to peace. 
But if you reject the king of glory, there can be no peace. And so these trumpets, the seals, they are the unleashing of covenant cursing upon those who have not made peace treaties with the Messiah. And so today we look at the sixth trumpet in these three headings. First, an answer to prayer. An answer to prayer. Second, a plague of desolation. And then thirdly, a plague embrace. Now, you may be wondering, why in the world have I titled my sermon, Kissing Your Killers? You'll find out soon enough. I went through like six titles. <laughs> Sometimes those titles help our memory. That's why I take, the, I take some time in those. All right, so you, when we begin in verse 13, the fifth trumpet has been blasted. And in the fifth trumpet, we find Jerusalem judged from within. And what we find is the sinful corruption of a demonic host unleashed upon Jerusalem. And the the, the effect of that is they were given over to their lusts and their passions. Now the sixth plague is judgment from without, namely the great Roman cavalry from without. And this judgment is ultimately an answer to prayer in two locations in the book of Revelation. The first is where the martyrs who have died at the hands of the Jews who have rejected Christ for the sake of the gospel plead before the throne and they say to Christ, O Lord, how long will you wait to pour out judgment? And Christ is speaking to them. And they are discussing the the sort of strategy of the kingdom and then later in revelation chapter 8 in one of the trumpets or or prior to the blowing of the trumpets uh, the seventh seal christ brings before him the prayers of the saints and he takes those prayers and he uses them to affect the coming of his kingdom the application of that is what do you wish to be mighty to have great influence in the kingdom then pray do not avoid prayer You can do all manner of things for Christ, but chief among those things is prayer. So what is happening? The Lord is answering the prayers of the saints. And what he's about to do, from a symbolic standpoint, these are literal occurrences described symbolically, is he is about to unleash the terror of the Roman army from the northeast. Now, the northeast border of Israel was a weak border. Assyria got in that way. The Babylonian Empire got in that way. This is where Israel was weak. But like Assyria, like Babylon, like Egypt, like Edom, and all of these other nations that were often a plague to Israel, they were an instrument of God. God uses evil for righteous means in order to accomplish his will. And there were times where Israel, let's take the book of Judges, time and again, God was faithful in his covenant to Israel. Israel rejected covenant faithfulness and a nation took over. And then what did Israel do? They repented. God freed them. They followed him. Soon after, they rejected him again and the cycle continued. Really, it's a downward spiral that leads here in Revelation to the destruction, the utter destruction of the heavenly, holy, not heavenly city, but the holy city of of Jerusalem. So why is it happening? Because Jerusalem in the main, covenantally speaking, the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah. 
They rejected the builder. But the stone that they rejected has become the cornerstone. And it is a stone either of life or stumbling. And Israel stumbled over their, the stone because they rejected his offer of salvation. And the way in which we know, and this sort of the rising stench of their rebellion is really seen when Pilate comes to the Israelites and he says, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? Do you want the Lord and giver of life or do you want a convicted murderer? And what do they say? We want Barabbas. Do you want God as creator or the origin of the species? And what does man say? I'll take the uncle who's a monkey. Right? Time and again, there is clear revelation of what God is doing in the world. And man shuts his eyes and stops up his ears. And they say, I'll take whatever does not lead me to the place where I must repent of my sins. So why is it happening? In part, the prayers of the saints that are a response for the righteousness of God to be poured out against rebellion, complete and utter rebellion. This is what we call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is the rejection of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. And so Christ being weak no longer, rides forth to conquer. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're asking for two things, for mercy and justice to be displayed on the earth as Christ sees fit. Now what ought we long for? Mercy, right? Because you and I know what it means to see with new eyes and to hear with ears that are open. To have a song in our hearts and in our mouths that is filled with the glory and honor and praise and worship and adoration of our God. But there are those throughout the earth that do not know this. It is righteous to long for judgment. And we know that that judgment will come. But when we sing to the Lord, take pity, that emotional response to unbelief ought to be ours as well. But we must understand this. Ultimately, what we are to be jealous for is the glory of God. Secondary to that and connected quite closely to it is or are the hearts of men. We want the glory of God to be manifested in the promotion of Christ's righteous kingdom. And so what do we do? The minister stands up and he proclaims without a forked tongue, this is what Christ desires. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. And there will be those that go, ooh, I don't like that. And I say to you, this is, this is, this is the book. I cannot depart from the words of Scripture. And what Scripture tells us quite clearly is that God is just and God is merciful. But he allots the times and spaces. He is the one who determines. And so we pray. And in an answer to that prayer, what we find coming against Jerusalem for their rejection and murder of the Messiah is Rome coming in on their horses of terror. Can you imagine being on foot in the face of the Roman cavalry? 
Again, this symbolic language describes the mightiest fighting force that Europe has ever known, perhaps the world. And on road and on horses, Rome conquered many, many nations. But all of that is an instrument of Christ's lordship. He is the player. He is the king of heaven and earth. And so that is why we find here a vision of angels and horses. These angels, in verse 13 and 14, were held back. When Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, there are those today who go, ooh, we would, we would never tolerate such a sermon. And it shows in our churches, doesn't it? How weak and pathetic we are. And what Edwards, he preached that sermon at least 12 times. And it rubbed people the wrong way. Now we love it because no one's preaching it to us. <laughs> we read it and go, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. But what he was doing is he was warning the decadent. Can you imagine what decadence would have looked like in the 18th century? <laughs> it is, well, it was the same, right? Same, same, but different. It was the same lust, envy, anger, pride, arrogance, all of those things. And what Edwards was saying is this. Your life, person, individual, you are like a spider dangling over the fires of hell. And in a moment, that thread could break. And what many would say is, well, that's just sensational. And I'm like, no, it's just a, it's a very a relevant metaphor for the lives of all men. We need to, in some fashion... Stand in awe and a little bit of fear in the presence of Almighty God and say, whoa, I'm glad he is for me and not against me. In fact, this was the question asked by Joshua. Remember when he went before the commander of the army of the Lord, are you for us or for our enemies? And Jesus, who is the commander of the army of the Lord in Joshua 6, says, wrong question. Are you for me or for my enemies? That is the question of the gospel. Do you look at Christ upon the cross and say, he died for my sins, or will you be left in your sins? And as we look at this vision of angels and horses being held back, this is the vision that Edward sought to capture in Thread and Spider. The judgment of God is designed in his sovereignty. It is there. Will it be poured out upon you? Well, Jerusalem experienced that judgment from within by the chaos of being given over to demonic spirits and here in verses 13 through 21, the violence of Rome. This is the Jewish war, AD 66 to AD 70. And if you're wondering, what is that view? It's, it's what you would call preterism. That many, most of these prophecies were told prior to, I'm an early age, early date revelation guy, and John is about to talk about, he's talking about things that are about to happen to Israel. What he's doing is that Christ is fulfilling this prophecy. He is going to cut off part of the branch that is Israel, and he will graft into the branch of which he is the root, the Gentiles, which is offensive enough to the Jews, is it not? The who? Those dirty, filthy Samaritans and those that lay beyond the borders of Judea? Surely not them. But all that matters is what? Not who your mom is, 
but who your Redeemer is, who is your Lord. And so we find, secondly, a plague of devastation. This is the Roman army. And as we read through here, there are four angels, and it is Christ that determines the seasons of when things will happen. That the ultimate commander of the army of Rome was not Caesar. It was Christ. It is Christ Now, this may make you uncomfortable. It's because you live in a world where if you go to a funeral and someone who loves the Lord dies, and you'll hear this. I can't believe Satan did this. Who? Who is sovereign over the lives? You think the devil is sovereign over the lives of men or that God shuts his eyes or does not in any way have his hand over all the affairs of men? In fact, we confess that whatsoever comes to pass... God has decreed it. This is Reformation or Reformed Theology 101. It's tough, and this is the reason why it's tough. Because we want to call the shots. But this is the spirit of the Antichrist. It is the spirit that got Jerusalem in trouble. So now the Roman army is marching upon Jerusalem. They march through the city, and there are many. One-third who are killed by this army of 200 million. Now, this is not a literal number. Very few of the numbers are in the book of Revelation. What it means is this, kids, a gazillion, a whole bunch. How many? Just name it. You just put zillion on the end, right? It is a number of soldiers. And what does it look like if you're on foot and you have no weapons and here comes Men clad in armor, their horses are clad in armor, and they're coming to you. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a force that cannot be contended with. And so Rome marched through. This is a historical event. And God in history was judging his city, Jerusalem, his chosen and beloved people who broke fellowship with him. And he commands this army to march through. It is a relentless and ruthless power. And this is the way that God has, and I would say, continues to act in history. The difference is this. We're not told exactly why and how God is are doing these things in a way that we call revelation. Right? In fact, Christ tells us to be very careful when a house falls on someone and they say, well, why did the house fall on him? Did he or his parents sin? And he says, no. But in response to all hard providence, what should always be the response of every human? Are there sins that I must confess of? What have I done? In fact, I would argue we've learned the wrong lesson since 2020. It's not, how can I inoculate myself from providence, but what? How do I free myself from judgment? Now, you may say, well, isn't that out of violation of what Jesus said in the Gospels? No. What would be wrong is to say, indiscriminately, I know that this is because of X. But look at the ungodliness around us and ask yourself this question. How much longer can God wait in his forbearance before he brings utter and complete destruction? And the only thing that causes him to say, Hold up, is what? 
what we see in the book of Revelation, that there are those who are sealed and named and numbered by him who will not experience the desolation. And so Revelation is not just about this moment in time, but it does provide for us a careful, if we're careful, a template for how God deals with all sin and how God will manifest through his son the kingdom of righteousness. And so a third word destroyed. They were put to death by the Roman soldiers. But in verse 20, there were those who did not, two-thirds. A number remained. And it's really that that I want to focus on. And that leads me to my third point, a plague embrace. This is what I mean by kissing your killers. Disease is bad enough. But when you call disease good health, you are completely unhinged and detached from reality. The way the Bible also refers to this is, Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. This is the quality of men who are unhitched from the law of God. We see this in the days of Noah. Significant moments of complete and utter rebellion against God and his word. It is a unique kind of judgment reserved for a unique kind of rebellion. This kind of rebellion. To hear the gospel preached and to say... No. It is to hear the good news and say, I want nothing to do with that. In fact, let's kill the prophet. Let's kill the pastor. In fact, when great, tyrannical, godless, secular powers have in history, or pagan for that matter, secularism is just paganism, right? With stainless steel attached. That's all it is. It's sophisticated new, modern paganism. You know what they do first? They burn the churches and they kill the pastors or they imprison them. Why? Because Satan knows how to fight even if the church doesn't. And woe be unto us for not fighting more, frankly, and not speaking up more. So you have Jerusalem And here is Christ walking through their midst. And then he goes and he sends out the disciples throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding territories of Judea. And you know what happens? We would like to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Boom! Slam the door. You've all seen the meme on social media where the animal is walking away and you hear the person say, I'd like to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's funny, probably blasphemous, But it does describe the nature of the world apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And what is interesting in our culture is we make light of an invitation that is the only way to life. And so the disciples were rejected. And what does Christ say? If you go to this town and they reject you, wipe the dust off your feet and go to the next town. This is Christ practicing what he preaches. And what he is doing is he's not only showing Jerusalem, but he is showing us today, the church, the terms of covenant keeping. And they are, as I have said time and time again, because this lies at the center of the gospel, kiss the son lest he grow angry with you. 
lest you perish in the way. One third of the people in Jerusalem died, and no one said, Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we did something wrong. Maybe we should, in light of this coming judgment which God had graciously given to Israel in times past, when the Amalekites invaded Israel, said, Lord, we're sorry. But there was no cry for repentance. It is to see and it is to misattribute, if that's a word, I think you know what I mean, it is to attribute the actions of God to someone or something else. This is what blindness is. It is to be told you only have three months to live and then you go out and you go home like no one ever told you that. And nothing ever changes. They were so hardened, which is itself blindness and judgment. This is the Romans 1 judgment. It is being given over to sin such that you are acting in such a way that even normal-minded folks who are not under the judgment of God look at you and go, are you a lunatic? And so despite seeing their neighbors die, this is bigger than the plague, certainly bigger than COVID. This is on a scale of destruction that most of us, if not all of us, will never see. And then you look at that destruction and you learn the wrong lesson. Or you learn nothing. Even though God said to Israel, if you break covenant, you will be judged. They had the Messiah and they denied him. And this is the fruit of their sowing rebellion against the Lord. But the rest of, the man, of mankind who were not killed, we're talking about those who lived in the city, by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. This is idolatry. Right? When they light up the Empire State Building pink in honor of being able to ch- kill a child into the ninth month of pregnancy, they are worshiping demons. Demons prefer pink. Apparently, that's a joke for all of you who are wearing pink today. (laughs) The other saying is, Mike's looking at me like, wait a second. I have a pink shirt too, don't worry. But what they are sending forth a beacon of what? We love the very thing that's killing us. And this is the litmus test of true apostasy. Now, someone has asked me this question. Does God make covenant with nations today? And I would say to you, God punishes those with whom he is in covenant. And if God punishes us corporately, it's because we've made a corporate covenant with him. And it's the family, it's the church, or it's the state. It's all of those things, really. The church has oftentimes done this, right? In fact, there were probably ministers who wept happily when that city and that building was lit pink. I'm not joking. Ministers that say they are leaders in the church. I'm not saying, well, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to merely correlate and flatten the sins of America with the sins of Israel. In that God deals exactly the same. But that as all men live in covenant with the Lord, 
All men are judged by their keeping of his covenant law. And the testimony of the hardness of our hearts is that when we see the truth, we reject it, and we actually say, I actually kind of like the taste of of this poison that we're taking. Now, for the soft-hearted, for the wise, for the repentant, God's discipline. Parents, you see this in your children. In fact, this is how you ought to do discipline. If your child sins, they need to know exactly what they did wrong and why they're experiencing wrath and chastisement. Otherwise, you don't you know, jump out and go, ha ha, wham, right? They don't know what you're doing. That would be kind of fun, a little bit, right? You've been such a cretin. I just want to, right? That's not justice. It's not righteous. It's wicked vengeance. It is, in fact, more of the wickedness of the world. But rather, what happens when your child sins in a way that deserves, let's say, physical reproof, which is PC code for a spanking. You sit them down on the bed and you look at them and said, you say to them, you know what you did wrong. Here's what you did wrong. And because we've established this pattern, if you do X, then I do Y, you're going to get a spanking. And they look at you and go, please, no. And you look at them and say, I'm sorry. God has time and time with men said, this far and no farther. This is the law. This is how you are to live. Now, what you expect, parents, is they go, I understand. But what about that child? I hate you. It would give you chills, wouldn't it? This is Jerusalem. And this is the testimony of true apostasy. Son, don't play in the road. You'll get hit. I want to get hit. Right? (laughs) I can't wait. Now, kids, you may say that and you don't mean it. What do you want? You just want to be a jerk. Right? You just, you want to be persistent. Well, the problem is what? Parents, are you prepared to let your kid go play in the street? (laughs) You protect them. And Christ, for millennia, set up boundaries. No, 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 no. Don't eat that. Eat this. Don't wear that. Why in the world could you not wear wool and cotton? Because Israel was supposed to be distinct from the world. Why can't you eat pork? Well, there's nothing wrong with pork. Right? Can I? Amen? (laughs) Bacon? I should have said bacon because you didn't know what I meant. It was to show that Israel was to be different, but in the end, what Israel had done was they worshipped the same God as the pagan nations. And this was evidence of their hardness. What Israel was saying was, we see the judgment, but we love our sin. A good example of that is Pride Month. Proud of what? Proud of what? What is there to be proud of? And have you seen what's happening in libraries, in public schools, in public places? Drag queens dragging 10-year-old children on stage? Proud of what? Why are they so proud? Because if they shut their mouth for a moment and listened, 
They would have to be confronted with the holiness of God declared against their ungodliness. Now, the holiness of God comes in two ways. It comes first in turn from your wickedness. For 100 years, what do you think Noah was doing while he built the ark? Guys, come on. It's a big, big, big boat. Just get on with me and my family. And that church never grew. It's the least successful church plant in human history, right? Eight people, and then one of them left at the end. Well, two of them left, and it was a bad, bad split. What are they proud of? Relationships that can bear no fruit? What is there to be? What are they proud of? That they have unshackled themselves from divine authority. And what is the end of all of that? You get what you worship. You become what you behold. If you worship demons, you get hell. The dismembering of your own body. That's a very polite way of putting it. These are not new things. In fact, Paul addresses this kind of legalism, which itself is its own kind of demonic activity. You Pharisees who say you have to be circumcised, well, how about this? Just cut the whole thing off. If you're really intent on being righteous, let's see how righteous you are. And there are those today who do. And instead of submitting to the lordship and the refuge of the gospel, they see judgment and they run towards it, not to rescue, but because they love the judgment. And what about those who shout their abortions? Can you think of a more bloodthirsty cry in human history? I mean, do you think the pagans in the age of Moloch worship at least missed their children after they put their little babies in the arms of that molten hot God? And now we celebrate it. And how do we celebrate it? I'm free of this parasite. When the ultrasound was developed, that picture cannot be ignored. You know how it's ignored? You have to close your eyes really, really tight and get very, very selfish to do it. You have to take your heart and you have to squeeze every drop of tenderness and emotion out of it. Now, my point is this. Judgment is no guarantee for repentance. Right? Just because we see judgment, we don't go, oh man, I need to get my life together. Otherwise, what? Churches would be bigger now after COVID than they were before, and they're not, except our church. Do you know why? Because we refuse to bow the knee to this sort of, hey, why don't you guys stop? Let's stop. Who do you think that came from? There is only one, and his hosts who longs for the worship of the saints to stop, and his name is not Jesus. Now, my point is this again. We don't have to look far to see evidences of God's hand of judgment around us, and yet we go, (laughs) that's gross. And then we move on. So what is the only response? Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. This is how I will close. Because I I don't want us to ever, when we look at these, to be in positions of despair because the church 
is called to be that divine institution that is softest and clearest in their understanding of what God is doing and how we can, well, let's look at Isaiah 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, God is bringing against Israel judgments because they have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he says in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What does this sound like? The woes brought against Jerusalem and any who reject. But he continues, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companies of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe, follows their rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away your alloy. I will restore your judges at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of trans- transgressors and of sinners shall be together. Christ is building a city that by his Holy Spirit will stand eternally in faithfulness to him. And Jerusalem is to us an example of a city that was once faithful but is faithful no longer. I think the question for us when we see texts like this is, which city do I wish to be a resident of? And how does my life evidence my citizenship? Do I take a bride? Bribe? Bride. Brides are good. Do I take a bribe? Defend the fatherless? Oh, if that doesn't hit home, real close. Plead for the widow? We live in a world and have neighbors with blood on their hands. And at times we have, in our silence, have blood on our hands. And so what does Christ say? Wash yourselves. Wash yourselves, which is what? Repent. And the blessing of repentance is that you are saved from destruction. What the world needs is not the freedom for people just to do whatever they want and to throw off all shackles of authority. It's to submit to the authority of Christ. It is to see and to repent. And that the church here, Reformation, would be zealous for the truth of God so that we might go into the world and clearly say, this is why things are the way they are. Wash yourself. Let's pray. Lord.